You're listening to Fit Girl, your guide to getting in shape, the podcast dedicated to helping you separate fact from fiction in fitness. Stop struggling and learn what really works to get the body you want and keep it. For more details about this podcast and other episodes, visit fitgirlpodcast.com. This is podcast episode number 256. In this episode, why anaerobic training is better than cardio for weight loss, ripped abs, and heart health. In nutrition, healthy foods that cause bloating and what to eat instead. And in motivation, just in time for the holidays, five easy steps to stop self-sabotage. So if you haven't already checked out the Strong and Powerful podcast, please do so. It's on iTunes and iHeartMedia and Stitcher and pretty much any podcast catcher you can think of. So go ahead and subscribe to that because I'm going to be continuing that and that's going to be a lot more detailed than our motivation section is going to be in this podcast. So if you like the motivation section here, you're definitely going to want to subscribe to the Strong and Powerful podcast. I've been working on a 14-day makeover product that I was hoping to get out by the first of this month, but obviously that didn't happen. So now my goal is to get it ready for next Monday. So I will keep you posted on that. And if you want to get first notice of that, just make sure you sign up for one of the email lists, either at fitgirlpodcast.com or at fitnessmakeover.com. Hopefully you all have been staying healthy and maybe you've gotten back to your regular gym. Maybe you're still working out at home. Um, I know in my gym it's still not full capacity. Um, it seems like it's the regular people who would always go anyway. Um, there's a lot of older people there, so a lot of them have not come down for the season yet, so I don't know if they're coming down or not. Uh, but for the most part, you know, it seems maybe half to three quarters capacity of what it normally would be. If your gym is back open and it's up to full capacity or half capacity or hardly any capacity, um, send me an email at uh, kira at fitnessmakeover.com um, and let me know. Or you could also use kira at fitgirlpodcast.com, either one, but they're on the uh, websites also because I'm really curious as to what's going on everywhere else. Um, now here, you don't have to wear your mask while you're working out. Um, a lot of people find it uncomfortable. I personally do wear the mask um, just because I don't know who's breathing in and out and if we're working out and they're breathing out harder than normal who knows what's in the air so I have found one that I'm very comfortable with and yeah sometimes if I'm really going hard and really really heavy I kind of do take it away from my mouth a little bit to get a little extra air but um, for the most part I've got enough circulation in there so I feel okay with that and I think it's just a little bit safer than just guessing because you just really don't know but like everything else, it boils down to what you're comfortable doing or comfortable wearing, and you just do the best you can. Of course, it's ridiculous that sometimes I've seen a couple little spats, and there was actually like one kind of major, almost almost fit fight, but more of a yelling fight, um, over a piece of equipment. I mean, we're all grown adults. Do we really need to argue over a piece of equipment? Just go do something else. But whatever, um, maybe just everybody's tense, but... Whatever the case may be, just take a deep breath, calm down, and go use a different machine or something. You know, it's just not worth getting in fights over. So I certainly hope that's not happening in your neck of the woods, too. And one last thing, I have been getting a lot of requests for people who need home training programs. Um, it's both been tell me what to do kind of thing as far as writing out a program. And then I've had some that wanted me to actually just videotape 
a class or an exercise routine for them to do. So uh, it's not actually up there on the Fitness Makeover as far as a program that you can purchase right now. It's kind of been via email, but I'll be putting that up there in case that's something that is interesting to the rest of you. So when you're into working out and being healthy and taking care of yourself, you tend to beat yourself up when you do something wrong, whether it's eat the wrong thing or miss a workout or maybe just do, don't do a really great workout. And that can turn into a lot of negative thoughts, which can turn into self-sabotage, sometimes setting yourself up for failure because you're afraid that you're not going to succeed, which in the one sense... Is understandable but in the other sense if you kind of break it down to the point that you know what any workout is a good workout so even if you fail at doing um, a maximum rep or you just don't have as much energy as the day before you know it doesn't matter you're still getting a workout and it's still good no matter what so but there are definitely times where we can be our own worst enemy and that's where your self-talk comes into play. And the self-talk is the same thing as the thoughts that are going on inside your head all the time. And sometimes they're positive and sometimes they're not so positive. Sometimes they can be downright destructive. So we need to really analyze how we think and when these thoughts come into our mind so that we can stay in control of them and make sure that we're supporting ourselves because it's the negative thoughts that are going to kind of drive us down the path of least resistance when it comes to, you know, having that extra glass of wine or having the piece of cake or skipping the workout or whatever it may be that is detrimental to your goal. And maybe we hold ourselves to a higher standard and maybe we shouldn't or maybe we just need to step out of ourselves and look at ourselves. I kind of think that made sense. But basically looking at yourself as if you were your best friend or a child, somebody that you would be supporting and encouraging and being nice to as opposed to how you normally treat yourself. Um, hopefully you don't normally treat yourself in a negative way, but I know we all can get stuck in those thought patterns. So what we're going to do is go through five easy steps to stop some of this self-sabotage. And it does tend to come out quite a lot during the holidays because apparently there's a lot of people that we want to please or that are expecting things uh, from us or for us to do or attend. And Inevitably, we can't please everybody, and then we beat ourselves up about it. So it's a good practice now so that when the next couple of holidays come up, hopefully you can survive them and be able to kind of control your behaviors and your self-sabotage um, and have a much better holiday. Now, for some reason, it's always easier for us to start that negative downward spiral, but you can also have a positive upward spiral. And that's what we're going to focus on here. The first thing is step one, well, awareness. You have to be aware of it, and you probably already are. If you're not, then you might start catching whenever you have negative thoughts. That's what the stuff is that we need to change. So awareness is the first step. You need to notice and either take note of your thoughts, because sometimes they happen frequently, or just at least catch yourself when you're thinking something that's either something that's bashing yourself for not doing something right or something that is not supportive of your goals, um, anything that's just negative. Now, the second step is to challenge yourself with a question. So when the negative self-talk comes in, you need to challenge it and say, is this really 
true. And most of the time, it's not. So if you say something to yourself like, oh my gosh, I always drink too much on the weekends. Well, is that really true? I mean, I guess it could be. But in reality, if you start looking at your patterns, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just that weekend. Or um, I always eat too much pie at Thanksgiving. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But it's probably not an absolute across the board always. So challenge your negative self-talk with a question. Is this true? Is this false? Is there any bit of validity in what you're thinking? And sometimes you can step out and say, you know what, I'm just being too hard on myself. It's ridiculous. You know, I'm going to enjoy this. It's one time. It's not all the time. I'll be okay. I'll survive. I will go ahead and survive the next holiday. And that kind of ties into um, step three, which is removing absolute terms from your vocabulary. And those are things such as we just said, every Thanksgiving I eat too much pie. Well, maybe it's not every Thanksgiving. Maybe it's just the last two. Or um, every time we go over to their house, I eat the wrong things. Well, maybe they're not all the wrong things. You know, maybe it's just one little wrong thing. So these absolute terms that are in your vocabulary are things like always and never, um, things that create kind of a pass-fail mentality. Now, when I'm training with my clients, there's certain words that I don't let them use. And one is the C word, can't. Um, the other one is the F word, fat. And then try and don't. These are all things that if they say, I'm on them because these are things that are not going to really help support yourself. And they're going to create that pass fail again. It's like, I can't do it. Well, you can't do it. Yes, you can. You can, you can do this. Um, I'll try to do it. Well, no, you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it, but you're still doing it. So a lot of words really need to be just eliminated from our vocabulary because they just kind of set us up for a vicious cycle of negativity. And what we want to do is replace those words with nicer ones, such as sometimes. Sometimes I eat too much. Um, or may. Well, I, I may do that every now and then, but it's not a habit or allow. Well, I'll allow myself this time, but next time I won't. I think when you just kind of look at it from the perspective that nothing is an absolute, then you realize that, okay, then I'm really putting it too hard to myself. You know, when you say, I always do this, or I never do that, or that kind of stuff. So take it easy and say, well, sometimes, and sometimes is okay. And allow yourself to be a person and to live and not have to be super strict. Now, the next part or next step is gratitude. And sometimes it's not so easy to do this, but being thankful or grateful for what you have instead of focusing on what you don't have can really help to change your perspective. You know, maybe you missed one workout this week. And you're starting to beat yourself up over it. Oh, I can never get my workouts in on time. Or, oh, I'm always missing workouts. You see all those bad words fall into play there. Um, in reality, you need to be thankful that you got three out of the four workouts in. Or maybe just one out of the four workouts in. Or however many you're doing. You know, be grateful that you still have your two arms and two legs to be able to work out. You know, be grateful that you have 
a place that you can work out or a way that you can work out. I mean, there's probably a million things that you could see in your life that you could be grateful for. You might be worried about how you're going to handle yourself at Thanksgiving um, with all the different foods around. And maybe you need to be grateful and show gratitude that you have access to food. And maybe say, you know, I'm going to make the right choices. I'm going to allow myself to have a couple of things that I wouldn't normally eat. But I'm not going to overdo it and just keep it in perspective as far as being grateful that you do have an abundance. And if you can't remember this part, write it down, stick it on a post-it note in your car or something. And this little simple question that you would ask yourself when you're feeling kind of down or trying to beat yourself up, what do I appreciate at this moment? And you might realize that there's a lot of things you can appreciate. And worrying about food or worrying about a social event really isn't one of them and really isn't as important as all of the other things that you have in your life. And sometimes when you start thinking about these gratitude thoughts, then more come and then more and then more. And that's when you start to feel the shift from the negativity to the positivity and to supporting yourself. Now, the last step is to realign the truth. And this kind of goes down to that whole belief window thing too. You know, what you think you believe may or may not be true. But you do have to come back and look at what is true. So at the end of the day, you need to say to yourself, do I really eat 24 hours a day? No, you probably don't. Do I always pick bad choices? No, you probably don't. So realign with what is true and think about your actions and realize that there are no absolutes and you're not as bad as you think you are and you have lots of things to be grateful for, and allow yourself to have a bad day every now and then. So when it's a good day, use that to write out some of these positive beliefs you have about yourself. Uh, that would be things like, I do my best to make good choices when I go out to eat. Um, I do what I can to get exercise in during the day. Maybe it's parking far away and walking. Um, to whatever location you're going rather than trying to get a close parking space. Um, maybe you did some act of kindness for someone. You held a door open or um, you waited for someone. You know, any little thing that is giving to other people is actually going to reflect back on you as a strength and as a value. And these are the things that you want to focus on because th these are the important things in life. Some of this I've started out with in the Strong and Powerful podcast because it's about recognizing what you bring to this world, what a difference you make in this world. And it, you may not even know who you affect, but you do affect a lot of people. And sometimes you just need to take a look and see all the good that you have done and see the qualities and the gifts that you actually bring to those around you. And it's sometimes not so easy to look at ourselves that way. But writing the list will be very helpful for those days when you are feeling negative and you are beating yourself up over one thing or another to go back to a journal and look and say, oh yeah, I did do this and I, I, I am like that and these are good things and I'm not so bad after all. So the next time you have a negative thought and a negative thought pattern, 
just go through the simple steps here. You know, once you're aware of it, recognize it, challenge it with that question. Is it true or false? Make sure that you remove any of those absolute terms. If you're using the always or the never, change that. Think about gratitude and what you can appreciate at that very moment and what you're happy that you have. And then realign the truth. Take some time to reflect on your strengths, your values, your, your little wins here and there, or your big successes too. And take a look at those positive beliefs that you've written, hopefully, in your journal or maybe in your workout log. All right, so I didn't know whether to do the training part now or the nutrition part, but um, we're gonna just go ahead and jump into training because they're both pretty interesting. Um, and this is gonna be about anaerobic training. Now that's your weight training versus your aerobic training, which is cardiovascular training. Um, and as you'll find out with some of the studies that I'm gonna talk about, um, aerobic isn't really as cardio training as anaerobic. So if you've been working out at home or even at the gym, you know, you might find it easy to just stick with the cardio exercise. It's usually things that we're just more familiar with. Especially if you're working out at home, you might not know how to actually make more of an anaerobic workout. And that means lifting weights, not just lifting them gently, but, you know, lifting heavy weights, challenging yourself. If you don't have heavy weights, you can challenge yourself by changing the tempo, um, changing the time under tension as far as how long you make a set last, how long the eccentric or the negative or all different parts of it are. I mean, there's a lot of different variations. Of course, it is much easier at the gym just to throw a couple of extra plates on there and know that you're going heavier. But whatever the case may be, anything that is a challenge that isn't endurance oriented is going to be anaerobic. So just think of like high intensity training. Now, anaerobic means it takes the place without the use of oxygen. That's why we kind of know that one is for strength and one is more for endurance, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not conditioning your heart because it's not cardiovascular. It is cardiovascular just because it's not exactly in the name like what we're used to doesn't mean that it's not going to benefit your heart and your blood pressure and, and all of the other aspects that regular exercise does. Now I think sometimes where it gets a bad rap is when people are talking about powerlifting and maybe doing one or two max reps and that is a different type of sport and that's not your general type of training. So don't look at it in that respect because there are so much, so many benefits to anaerobic training. And you can also think of that as um, sprints or interval training. And of course, there have been studies that have shown that sprint type interval training versus endurance training um, is actually better for your cardiovascular system and cardio health. So we know that anaerobic exercise or heavy high intensity weight lifting or weight training or resistance training um, can make you leaner and faster and give you more power and strength. But it also creates more muscle. And of course, not necessarily big bulky muscle unless you're doing a certain type of program, but the kind of muscle that boosts your metabolism. And that metabolism boost lasts all day long. So when you're doing that anaerobic exercise, not only are you boosting your metabolism right then while you're working 
because you are really stimulating your body to do something it's not used to doing and you're allowing it to hopefully grow some muscle so that it gets stronger to resist that high intensity training the next time. And of course, the more muscle you have, the faster your metabolism is going to be and the easier it's going to be to keep weight off and to lose weight. Now, the other thing is when you're looking at the big picture, doing something that you can't do for hours on end, but can give you more success as far as strength, power, muscle, that's going to keep you in shape and get you in shape faster and save a lot of time. I mean, wouldn't you rather do a half hour of weight training versus an hour on the bicycle or the treadmill? I mean, I'd rather do something that takes less time, especially with weight training, because it's different. It's not that repetitive motion like you would be doing on a treadmill. And I know you can switch up the treadmill with intervals and stuff too, but then that becomes the anaerobic training when you're doing those sprint type intervals. So we have to compare apples to apples here. Now, the other benefit to anaerobic training is if you're bored easily, because if you are, no way you're going to last on a bike or a treadmill for 20, 30, 40 minutes. So if you get bored real easily, or you're kind of one of those fidgety, impatient people, or you're just really in a hurry, it's a great way to get in shape fast. And when I say get in shape, not just lose weight, but get stronger and it actually does help increase your endurance because your muscles are stronger. They're going to be able to do more. So the two biggest forms of this type of training comes in the form of lifting weights and doing sprints when you're doing what we would traditionally call cardio work or aerobic work. So adding those high-intensity sprints will make that also anaerobic. So now it becomes something you definitely can do at home if you have no equipment, because let's say you're walking for cardio. Well, your sprint would be a really super fast walk from point A to point B, and then you'd have the, your lower interval sprint, but you can do it by time, you can do it by distance, whatever, but what you're looking to do in that sprint time is to do some sort of maximum capacity. Now, I didn't say run. You could run in a full-on sprint. Um, I'm not really a big advocate of that for weight loss. It's certainly good for other things. Um, but basically, you want to do whatever action you're doing and then something that is much more strenuous. So even at home, if you're just doing regular knee lifts, then maybe you do 15 seconds of just plyometric jumps straight up in the air, uh, and then you go back to whatever easier cardio that you might be doing that you can maintain for a little bit longer. We've actually been doing a lot of these workouts and that's part of the 14-day makeover that I have coming out soon um, because it does work a lot faster and you get that little bit of a sprint and then you're doing something else and then boom, there comes that sprint again. So they're a little bit longer in the uh, amount of sprints and exercises than the Tabata training. So there is some difference there. Um, there's also balance compo components in the workout too. So you know, you're huffing and puffing from doing something that was a sprint interval, and now you have to balance on one leg and do some other things slowly. So there's a lot more control of your body and challenge. Now, as if that wasn't already enough to have you focus more on your weight training and sprint interval type workouts. I'm going to give you a couple more reasons. There's uh, three really, really good reasons. Uh, one is lose weight, lose fat, because, you know, the weight on the scale isn't always everything. So 
weight loss and metabolism boost. That's definitely something you're going to get from your weight training and from your um, anaerobic sprints. And I found this was interesting. I actually calculated out uh, for us that use the pound system. <laughs> there was a study, and this was in 2008, that compared um, anaerobic sprints on a bicycle, stationary bike, uh, and aerobic cardio. And this was done by girls or women that were in the 20-something age um, and that didn't have any conditions or anything like that, just basically a normal group. And what they found was that the group that sprinted actually really improved the body composition uh, much more than the ones that just did the regular bicycling. So in, in actuality, they lost an average of 5.5 pounds of body fat and increased their muscle by 1.3 pounds. Now, usually we don't lose a lot of fat and gain muscle at the same time. So, I mean, that's right there, pretty phenomenal. Um, the aerobic-only group actually gained 0.88 of a pound of fat by the end of the study. So, I mean, less than a pound of fat, but basically you're looking at two groups doing two different things. One is anaerobic and they're gaining muscle and losing four times as much fat. And then you have the other group that's basically just doing all the work and not getting really anything out of it. So that's a, kind of a night and day realization as far as what your sprints and anaerobic training can do for your body. Um, the, the researchers actually interpreted the intervals led to the fat loss because of the training, uh, how it improved the metabolic hormone levels, which play such a big role in weight management and weight loss. And also as the body's ability to mobilize body fat and burn it for energy became more efficient thanks to the intervals. Now keep in mind, you don't have to be a spinning monster on a bicycle to get the benefit of intervals because again, weight training is the same thing. You are doing something really hard with a heavy weight for a short period of time, then you're resting a little bit, then you're doing it again. So that's why those two compare so well. Now, if you wanted to do this on your own on a stationary bike, for example, um, you would start out maybe with 10-15 minutes of intervals, and that would be going all out and maybe at a decent resistance level for about 8 to 10 seconds, and then rest about 10 to 30 seconds, even a minute, depending on what level you are training at. If you're a beginner, you're going to rest longer, um, and you just keep repeating that cycle. If you go to Fitness Makeover and look at the programs, the audio workouts, there are cardio workouts where I talk you through these types of intervals where we do the sprints. Um, some of them are on the treadmill, some of them are made for the elliptical or, or either one, and then some of them are made for the bicycle so that I'm prompting you right away, go to this level, do this, do that. So you know it's kind of a, a no-brainer way to get pushed through your workout rather than trying to figure it out yourself. So make sure you check those out too. So by far the biggest benefit is going to be losing weight getting lean, boosting your metabolism all in a shorter period of time and a shorter workout time. But another benefit is getting better abs and getting rid of that dangerous belly fat that's way down deep in there. Um, there are people that are actually what they call skinny fat. It's they appear to be lean, but they actually have a higher body fat composition than they should or than somebody that weighs the same as them. And that's because the body fat is deep down into the surrounding organs and centralized around the belly and it you know makes them 
look bigger in the waist and, you know, definitely hides the abs. And one of the other things that's dangerous about belly fat, besides being just icky and we don't want it because it's ugly, um, it secretes some dangerous inflammatory hormones. And that facilitates further fat gain and starts to become detrimental to your health. Um, in episode 251, uh, we did a whole section about body fat. So if you want to get more into some of the, the health things, go back and listen to that. But um, anaerobic training happens to be one of the, the best methods for burning belly fat for a couple of reasons. The first one is that the interval workouts actually improve the production of enzymes involved in fat mobilization and breakdown. And that's kind of why we talked about that earlier with the hormones and everything like that. So now you're making your body better at burning fat, mobilizing it, breaking it down, um, making use of the fat that you want to get rid of, which is basically the whole point of exercise to begin with. Then the second big benefit there is that the anaerobic training elicits a huge jump in oxygen consumption during the 24-hour period after you work out, during your recovery period. That's when your body is actually restoring those physiological factors in your cells and repairs your damaged tissue to make you stronger. Uh, this increased oxygen use actually means your body's burning calories at a faster rate for a longer period of time. So see, you can get the best of both worlds and you do that with your anaerobic training. And yes, there is more, even more than just this last one I'm gonna give you about why um, anaerobic training is better than cardio training. Um, it's actually better for endurance performance and work capacity. And what that means, if you are an endurance athlete or if you like to do 5Ks or 10Ks or whatever, um, weight training is actually going to make you better at that particular event. And I know I've experienced this myself. Um, I've done some road races that are kind of a yearly thing with the family. And I used to run quite a lot uh, when I was in college, somewhere of like five, six, seven miles a day. And then, of course, as I got older, realized that that was detrimental to my weight loss because it was inhibiting my muscle gain. So I stopped running altogether when I learned the impact that it really does have on your muscle and metabolism. And so I haven't really run in maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years, and did a couple of those road races having basically not even prepared, just doing my regular weight training and everything like that. And yeah, so I didn't have like my world best time, but it didn't matter. I completed the, the race and it was enjoyable and I didn't do any running at all beforehand. So that endurance, that strength that you get from weight training translates into everything else. And you really cannot say the same for cardio. You can train cardio all day long, but it's not going to make you stronger. Whereas you can train for strength and it's going to give you more endurance and stamina. So besides just taking my word for it, um, there's actually been, of course, studies that show that the anaerobic workouts actually improve your body's ability to use oxygen. That way you can actually maintain a faster pace for a longer period of time. And if you're doing your weight training alongside your regular running training or whatever endurance training you do, then you will definitely see a big difference in your performance. Now, one thing I always say is that, you know what, if you enjoy running and it 
makes you happy, then go ahead and do it. It's not the best activity for weight loss or for weight maintenance. So keep it in perspective. If your goal is weight loss and weight maintenance, then you might not want to be using running as your cardio because it will inhibit your muscle. That's one big mistake I see a lot of women doing. They run thinking they're losing weight and actually they're dropping some of their muscle because the body doesn't deem it as essential. And in order to go faster, it tries to drop your muscle, which weighs more. So that's not actually going to help the metabolism. And then you get into that vicious cycle of a lower metabolism. You gain weight easily when you eat something, you run some more, you lose some more muscle, and it just keeps going around and around circles. So that's why if you're trying to lose weight, then don't use running for your extra calorie burning. Use your weight training. Make it faster as far as your intervals go. Make it heavier so that you're puffing more. Um, make that work for you or choose something that's completely low impact if you're going to be doing some sort of long distance type cardio. Um, once you've reached your weight goal, then yeah, sure, you can run and you can do whatever you want. Or if you're going to use the running, use it as sprints, not as your long, slow endurance. So incorporate those high intensity sprints if you are going to do some sort of running. But in general, I usually recommend for my clients not to do the running, to do your sprints on the bicycle. But hey, it all boils down to what you're actually going to do. If you dread something and you hate it, you're not going to do it. So do what you actually enjoy or maybe you can handle putting up with. Okay, so finally in the nutrition section, and I'm probably going to have to start splitting up these because these podcasts are getting really long. Um, so send me an email if you think they're too long and you want to split up or if you don't. Anyways, uh, healthy foods that cause bloating. Now, there's a lot of foods out there that are really healthy but don't always agree with people and their, their stomach, their gut, their body. Some foods are just not good for some people even though they are called good foods. So we're going to talk about some of the ones that can actually cause some bloating. Now, first of all, we need to separate what bloating is because a lot of times people will say, oh, I'm all bloated and they're really not. They're just fat um, or they'll say I'm holding water. And again, they're really not. They've just got too much fat. So it's more a matter of determining, are you really bloated? Are you really holding water or, or are you just overweight or have extra fat around the belly? So bloating is actually when your belly feels swollen or enlarged and usually after eating and it's most often caused by gas or maybe other digestive issues but gas is the most common problem and I know this is not always a subject that people want to talk about but it is something that goes on in your body and can be important um, depending on your situation. Now bloating can also be a symptom of some medical conditions but it's usually something in the diet. But by all means, if you find that you're getting bloated a lot, then you definitely want to go see your doctor. And when you do, maybe to keep a reference or a week of foods that you've been eating so that they can kind of take a look at what is going on and maybe just diagnose some of the foods that need to be removed from your meal plan. So in researching this, I found that there's one common culprit, and it's a really big, long scientific word, which I'm going to probably butcher, but I'll try to say it, but it has um, an acronym called FODMAPS. So we'll probably try to refer to that, but it'll only be for a little bit, so just bear with me. Um, basically, that stands for fermentable oleodimonosaccharides and polyols. Anyways, basically stuff that creates gas. They're short-chain 
carbohydrates that actually escape your digestion, and then they are fermented by your gut bacteria in the colon. So you may have heard when people talk about gut bacteria and what it does, you know, this is something that coincides with that. And when it goes through that process, gas is a byproduct. So sometimes you can see if you have a lot of bloating, there may be an issue with how your body processes these types of carbohydrates. Um, and in other cases, sometimes things just kind of slip through your body differently, maybe when it's combined with a different food or whatever. Um, so for healthy people, these FODMAPs simply give you some fuel and they're actually good for your digestive bacteria and really shouldn't cause any problems whatsoever. But for people that have irritable bowel syndrome, there is actually another type of gas that is formed during this actual fermentation process, which sounds like it's a, it's a bad thing, but when you're healthy, it's not. It's a good thing, but when you're not or you have issues, then yeah, it's not a good thing. Um, and this can actually cause that major discomfort and those symptoms of bloating. And here's the other wonderful symptoms that I'm going to say that nobody ever likes to talk about, but flatulence, cramping, and diarrhea. So there you go. Um, if you have some of these when you're eating or if you have irritable bowel syndrome, then you probably are going to want to avoid the foods that I'm about to talk about. So the first three are actually what we would consider healthy foods um, at, that you might want to avoid if you have these issues. And like anything else, you always want to keep track of what you're eating if you're having issues, um, because the more information you can give a doctor, the easier it is for them to diagnose the problem and help you out. So the first one is your cruciferous vegetables, those greens that are really important for so many different things in your body. And that's like broccoli, cauliflower, cauliflower blah cabbage, Brussels sprouts, you know, those nice, crunchy, crunchy things that have so many benefits can also cause some problems. So one way to get around this is to actually cook those types of vegetables, and that's going to actually make them a little bit easier to digest. But if you want to get your greens in and you don't want to have to worry about the uh, issues that you might have with broccoli or cabbage, then you might want to try instead spinach, cucumbers, you know, lettuce, zucchini, and actually uh, on the list I saw sweet potatoes. I don't really think it falls into that cruciferous vegetable family, but uh, it is something that I guess can cause some issues, and I don't think you would actually eat it uncooked. I could be wrong. Email me if I am. Um, so anyways, I'm not sure why that made the list, but it did. The next one is kind of obvious. It's dairy. There's a lot of people that have issues processing dairy. You know, if you're lactose intolerant, you have already discovered all of this and know this. But um, a lot of dairy products, you know, your milk, cheese, cream cheese, yogurts, butter, uh, all fall into that dairy category. And about 75% of the world's population can't break down the sugar found in milk, which makes them lactose intolerant. And that's where they get the, the gas, the cramping, diarrhea after having these types of products. Now, some people can actually tolerate cream and butter or even fermented dairy like yogurt. Um, so that is an alternative right there. Uh, there are also lactose-free milk products out there. And then you can always swap it out for things like coconut milk or almond milk or soy milk or rice milk. And obviously, there's so many choices nowadays that you really don't have to suffer if you are lactose intolerant because there's plenty of other options. Now, just to remind you, we're talking about healthy foods that can cause some bloating in people. And apples 
are one of them. I mean, they're very popular, they're high in fiber, they're high in vitamin C, antioxidants, they're fabulous food, but they do have some issues for people that have digestive issues. And it's primarily the fructose, which is a type of sugar, and is also one of those FODMAPs that we talked about earlier, and the high fiber content. And they can both be fermented in the large intestine, and that can cause your gas and bloating. So if you do find this happening after you have an apple, then yeah, you've got the issue. Uh, cooked apples are usually easier to digest, so that's one option. And then another option is just choose another fruit. You know, bananas, grapefruit, mandarins, oranges, I mean, anything else pretty much that is agreeable to your body. Now, I'm only going to go over two of the not-so-healthy foods um, that can cause bloating because I think you can kind of figure out which really unhealthy foods can do that. But a couple that were a little surprising are carbonated drinks. Um, because they have so much carbon dioxide, which is a gas, it means that you can potentially be swallowing large amounts of gas. And some of this can get trapped in your digestive system and cause bloating and cramping. So obviously, what would you drink instead of a carbonated beverage? Well, plain water is always best, but then there's certainly things like coffee, tea, fruit-flavored water, I mean, anything else that's pr probably not carbonated. Um, the other thing that falls into that line too, which might be kind of a bummer for you, is beer. And when you hear the words beer belly, it's not always just the increase in the belly fat, it's also sometimes the bloating that's caused by drinking beer. And since it is a carbonated beverage, it's and, and it's made from sources that easily ferment, like barley and maize, wheat, rice, um, along with some yeast and water, it can definitely have that effect on your body. And on top of that, the grains used to brew beer often contain gluten, which the majority of the people out there are also allergic to or have issues with. So then again, you know, sure, what do you drink instead? Water. Yeah, right. That's not exactly the same. Um, but if you're looking for some alcoholic beverage, maybe some red wine or white wine or some sort of other concoction that might be a little bit less bloating for you. So to sum it all up, those are some of the things you want to avoid and some substitutions for them. And bloating is just a really common problem, but it can usually be resolved easily with simple changes to the foods that you're eating. So if you find um, that a certain food consistently makes you bloated, then just avoid it. Really, no food is worth suffering like that for. Um, and hopefully you can make that mental note that this particular food is not agreeable to me or my body, uh, so I'm going to make a different choice. So, wow, that was a lot to cover. Um, I definitely might have to start splitting these back up into one topic just because it's really taken a long time to get this one done between the dog having to go out and different things happening. So um, you can always message me on the Facebook page, Fit Girl USA, if that's something that you're okay with or if you definitely want me to stick with these longer ones and the multiple uh, topics. But keep in mind that you can get more motivation with the Strong and Powerful podcast. So that is something that you can always go like and subscribe on whatever your podcatchers are. Just a few quick reminders, make sure you check out fitnessmakeover.com and look at the audio workouts because there are ones that have sprinting and intervals done for you and that way you just have to put it in your iPod or iPhone and 
go. That's it. You just don't even have to think. The music's there. I'm coaching you. It's all done. So check those out. And then for weight training workouts that are intervals, check out quickfitclub.com because there's a bunch of different things there that include intervals. And if you don't get a copy of the latest fitness survey in your email, then go ahead and go to the fitgirlpodcast.com page right in the middle. You'll see a link to go and take that survey, and that helps me out with some of the different topics and things that I'm doing here on this show. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to giving you all the insights to help you reach all of your goals and to help you get your best body ever. If you'd like additional information on these topics and more articles on health, nutrition, and motivation, visit fitnessmakeover.com, allinoneworkout.com, or coachkira.com.